Moby.co. This is the Flagship Pod, a weekly live podcast about the stock market, the economy, and the various market forces powering the world around you. As always, I'm your host, Peter Starr, bringing you this time a quick solo episode while our analyst team gets bogged down in a lot of really interesting market information. It's been a wild week on the stock market, so even though we don't have anybody to interview this week, we want to give you a quick update on what's happening in the markets. And honestly, There's just too much good news to really kind of make sense of everything that is happening in the market this week. Let's see if we can take a more measured look at all of the mania currently hitting the markets and see where we can find long-term growth. So the main things we're going to be covering this week, the main things being watched by our analyst team right now are simply, first of all, the CPI print coming back brilliantly. Inflation's only up 3%. What does that mean, and can't this be sustained moving forward? Secondly, we're also watching the health in the financial system. On Friday, we got a lot of really encouraging news from some of the major players in banking as earnings season has kicked off in earnest. Things are looking pretty good over there, but there's some stuff that we're worried about a little bit in terms of some cracks showing specifically at Citigroup. We'll unpack that a little bit more later. We're also really encouraged by Delta's earnings, and hopefully that's going to be an encouraging sign for travel and consumer spending moving forward. We'll tell you more about that in a second. And finally, of course, we will be discussing cryptomania after U.S. federal court basically just declared altcoin season last week, sending a way of mania through these B players in the crypto space. Nobody's getting back to their 2021 levels just yet, but it looks like the hammer isn't quite coming. But let's see if we can unpack this and see if it's time to FOMO back into the crypto markets. A lot to unpack here, folks. Let's go ahead and see what we can make sense of and just dive right into it. And right now, I think it's important to acknowledge that we received so many fundamentally good pieces of news this week that it's honestly getting harder and harder to contain our bull sentiment. I think we'll look back at this week as a potentially fundamental vibe shift if we get more encouraging data prints in the weeks ahead. The most important thing about the CPI data is that it combined with higher employment data we got two weeks ago to fundamentally shift the sentiment on the market. We're seeing inflation crash while employment stays high, which is kind of like not supposed to be what happens, but also proves out our initial thesis that this is more supply-side inflation than too much actual money being in the monetary system right now. Prices simply just had to go up because energy prices spiked, but that could also have its own little trap inside the inflation data. So let's go ahead and start going into exactly what that means for us moving forward. So the CPI came out on Wednesday of last week with overall inflation being only up 3% year over year. This is a stark contrast to when inflation peaked, which was exactly a year ago. So June of 2022, inflation comes out north of 9%, and June of 2023 has inflation coming out almost dead on at 3%. The market expected 3.1, but we got 3%, and that presents a really interesting crossroads for the market. When we look at the granular CPI data, too, there's a lot of great price action in there. The main drivers for inflation right now are shelter and insurance costs, while energy prices have absolutely collapsed, like north of 20% down in certain areas of energy costs. And here's the thing there, like when you look at this inflation data, it's not as encouraging as it could be. There's certain food items that are still boosting inflation, and shelter inflation is north of 7%, which is just absolutely wild. And the most important thing is, with energy prices being the primary driver of inflation going down, energy prices are generally volatile, right? They were out of control last year, but they can go right back up if we get supply shocks again, and that can undo a lot of the Fed's progress. So it's something concerning to keep in mind as we move forward 
And let me just summarize that by saying next month's CPI is going to be even more important than this one, as it will show either one, how the market reacts to inflation rates flattening a bit, if they stay at or above 3%, or they'll show inflation re-entering the Fed's ideal 2% range. Anything in 2% is a gigantic win, even though the Fed's actual target is dead on 2% or even lower if they want. And given that more and more data keeps proving out that it's more and more likely just been supply-side inflation this whole time, that first outcome is far more likely, with shelter and service inflation potentially staying sticky and other supply issues like India's tomato crisis keeping food costs higher. But if the market doesn't overreact to inflation being less transitory, that in and of itself is going to be a great sign. So it's not just watching July's CPI, it's watching the market's reaction to July's CPI, which can go in a lot of different directions. Again, we're waiting on a lot of really important data as we understand exactly where our economy and our market system are headed moving forward. Because once again, it's not just the Fed who's in charge here, it's also supply issues. Not only do we still have a little bit of food inflation thanks to the world's two biggest producers of wheat still being at war with each other, but we're seeing the El Nino current start to really sort of supercharge a little bit our climate change situation. As I alluded to earlier, prices for tomatoes in India have nearly 4x'd thanks to just two really bad tomato crops. India and China are the world's two biggest producers of tomatoes, so that's going to affect global supply and therefore global prices for tomatoes. And again, every little data point here counts since we are still a globalized system, right? We're still going to watch supply shocks and all of the pain from the war in Ukraine continue to reverberate across the entire global system until there's a resolution to that conflict and both of those countries can get back to focusing on production, right? In summary, the CPI showed a lot of really encouraging signs, but if you look a little bit beneath that, we're still a little bit concerned in terms of where exactly the market go after this point. Again, the other piece of information we will need before July CPI prints is going to be two weeks from now when we finally get Q2 GDP growth data. And that's going to be the next biggest, most critical test for where this market is headed. So we finally revised GDP growth in Q1 to 2%, which means that GDP growth is still going down. It was a little bit higher than 2% in Q4 of 2022. It hit 2% in Q1 of 2023. And so the main question is, where is GDP growth going now that we've kind of gotten through the year of efficiency, now that we've gotten through sort of the spending crisis? We had a big slate of layoffs in Q1 and Q2 that are finally being digested by the market. How is that going to affect economic growth? Is AI really just going to increase productivity so much that GDP growth actually goes up despite all these layoffs? So here's what's going to happen with that GDP print. If by some absolutely insane miracle GDP growth comes in north of 2%, it's going to be full-on mania. It's going to be a suggestion that the economy is growing again. Fear will absolutely evaporate from the market, and we will see just markets rip on this news that you can maintain GDP growth while keeping inflation under control and leaving employment relatively high. However, on the flip side, with all the layoffs we saw, at least in sort of like the high-paying tech sector, there is a potential for GDP growth to actually decrease. So anything less than zero will erase all of the gains we have and put recession fears back on the table, so to speak, and bring a lot of that fear back to the market and bring a lot of sell pressure back to anything and potentially undo a lot of the bull sentiment we've had for the last couple of months, basically. Way more likely than both of those situations is something in the middle. Anything between 0 and 2% GDP growth, that's going to say to us the market, yes, is slowing down a little bit, but we are not, you know, trending towards a recession. If we're in the high 1% range, it's going to be a little bit more encouraging, but if we are below 1%, that still is kind of us trending towards GDP growth declining, which is us slowly but surely trending towards recession, which will at least put a little bit more fear back on the table until we get Q3's GDP data, right? So that's the main 
main thing we take away from the macro situation, the CPI print was brilliant. We're waiting for GDP growth to give us way more perspectives here, but we are actually close to getting real answers here, as opposed to just baselessly speculating the way that the market has had to do since this inflationary spiral started. So it's looking more and more likely that the soft landing that the Fed has been planning for may actually happen. It's a really interesting reversal from what Jerome Powell was saying literally in January, saying that some pain would be necessary to get inflation under control. That doesn't appear to be the case right now, especially if we see inflation go beneath 3% in July. That would be absolutely wild, but we won't get that information until early August, so there's no reason to baselessly speculate on that right now. After the whole CPI, we also got some really encouraging news for essentially the entire financial sector, as the biggest players in finance reported earnings early on Friday. We had JP Morgan, Wells Fargo, and Citigroup. And while it's not the entire banking system, it's still really encouraging. JP Morgan is obviously on the top of the pile where they managed to break through $14 billion in profits for the quarter. They had a lot of expenses coming out of their SVB acquisition and, and a lot of the sort of the regional bank stuff they had to do, but it still added a bunch to their profit line, which frankly is kind of increasing our worry about potential consolidation within the banking space, right? We are very concerned that JP Morgan will get too powerful here and be able to gobble up even more smaller banks. Consolidation is not something we want to see in the financial sector, but the fact that things are still staying resilient after a pretty big hit back in March is another very encouraging sign that caused the markets to rip on Friday, and that's going to just keep us moving into more bull territory as we get more earnings for more banks early this week. Smaller banks are going to start reporting on Tuesday, your PNCs, your Morgan Stanleys, not that Morgan Stanley's small or anything, but just, you know, smaller than JP Morgan, right? So as we see the full picture of the financial industry, odds are that's going to add a little bit more bull sentiment as we have seen the major winners in banking continue to be winners. Even if we start seeing some losers, that's not a hugely discouraging sign or anything. But one thing we're keeping a close eye on is watching how profits and Citigroup declined drastically on a couple of factors, particularly their loan business, and watching delinquency rates for their credit cards start to creep up a little bit as well. Citi kind of tempered these expectations by A, saying that delinquency rates are going to approach normal by the end of the year, but at the same time, it is a little bit concerning seeing that potential wall of consumer credit and consumer debt creep up on us in a way that can become more of a black swan event to be mindful of. Citigroup declined as much as 3% on that news, but it's not like a catastrophe brewing or anything. Again, it's something to keep an eye on and not something we're going to get a lot of clarity on until next quarter's earnings. So a little bit of concern forming, but again, overall, we are seeing bull sentiment in the banking space because again, we took the biggest possible hit we could take and with the SVB collapse overnight, and now things are starting to stabilize a little bit as we get better news and get a better sense of exactly where the market is going. So we're eager to see other banks start reporting on Tuesday, but we're not super concerned about the financial system outside of consumer debt and also outside of potentially JP Morgan, you know, ruling the world, so to speak. But on the flip side of that, we also got really great news from Delta Airlines when they reported earnings and absolutely smashed through their revenue expectations. And not only that, their earnings per share expectations as well. Delta managed to beat revenue expectations and post $14.6 billion in revenue while keeping their fuel costs 22% lower than they were last year. So basically, revenue's going up at the same time costs are absolutely collapsing. So Delta is kicking off this travel boom. The really exciting thing about Delta is seeing that demand is going back up. And that's an encouraging sign because, again, while we're worried about consumer spending, a lot of that consumer spending fear has to do with retail sales cooling off a little bit. But instead of that suggesting that consumer spending is down in a broad sense, what it's actually suggesting is, is that consumers are actually shifting their spend from goods 
to services. So Delta's going to be up while retailers suffer a little bit and try to find ways to get people to start buying things again now that people are just trying to get back out in the world post-COVID, right? We're still coming out of the COVID haze, so to speak. We are still technically in a pandemic. That, that should really be important to say, but the rest of the market is acting like there is no pandemic. So with more airlines reporting earnings this week, we're hoping to see more folks move in the direction of Delta. No one else is probably going to be as effective as Delta has been because Delta has positioned themselves to be the airline of the moment. They are focusing on loyalty and high-end customers, and those kinds of moves help you attract more high-income Americans who are obviously going to be less hit by inflation than the broad American public. So other airlines might be getting hit pretty hard as the rest of America really feels the heat from inflation. So we'll have to see exactly how high travel demand is. But if we're seeing it broad-based, if every airline just starts winning as everyone gets back to spending on experiences, it's going to be a really good time when the travel sector is on a broad base, but a really encouraging sign out of Delta nonetheless. And then getting into our last section, getting a little bit more speculative, one of the biggest vibe shifts we got this week was the crypto mania that absolutely hit the market after Thursday. Here's the thing. Adding to the bull sentiment last week, crypto markets were ripping on the news that a federal judge in the Southern District of New York ruled in favor of XRP not being a security in certain situations. This ruling itself is actually kind of complicated, and so just kind of bear with me as I give you the way oversimplified version here, but simply, if individuals purchase XRP, the Ripple token, from exchanges, then that is technically not a security. However, initial coin offerings and other private offerings to institutions would count as a security, and that could shift the rules in the crypto market. Basically, a lot of the sentiment driving price action in crypto is based in retail investors, people just buying and selling coins to each other, whereas in stocks and bonds and everything else, it's institutions. For XRP, institutions potentially have to follow a lot more of like securities laws, that's going to get baked out way more as regulation starts coming down the pipe. But the fact that legally purchasing XRP as an individual means it's not a security really rips away a lot of the risk on the retail side of the equation, which is why you saw XRP and every altcoin basically start ripping over the back half of last week. Because this was a massive deal and a huge signal to the crypto market writ large. XRP rose as much as 80% on the news, but now it's kind of stabilizing, being 70% up after the hype died down. We're also not suggesting you FOMO into this right now, like let the mania play out and then jump in once we see prices start to stabilize a little bit. Meanwhile, every major altcoin from Solana to Cardano saw north of 10% growth on the news as buyers flooded back to the market. Coinbase is a really interesting one. They managed to notch 30% growth on the week due to the news because it suggests that maybe the SEC will not be as harsh on them moving forward. Again, that lawsuit hanging over Coinbase, that's a whole mess that's been weighing on Coinbase's stock. But this ruling on XRP is giving the market a lot of really good vibes, so to speak and, you know, just bringing a lot of bull sentiment back to the market. Again, it can be very temporary. At the same time, even as we're recording this late on Friday, we're beginning to see a lot of dark clouds gathering over Binance as Binance is now doing way more layoffs, as Binance is now doing way more layoffs in the wake of DOJ scrutiny. Again, the difference here is that Coinbase is based in America, whereas Binance is not, and therefore Binance might see a lot more pressure from the DOJ. Again, Binance has been pushed out of Australia, been pushed out of Canada, and now potentially maybe pushed out of the U.S. in favor of Coinbase kind of being declared the winner of all crypto exchanges, even though Binance and Coinbase don't operate on similar models. Of course, that is a glaring oversimplification, but right now we're starting to get a little bit more excited about the crypto industry writ large, but we're still going to maintain kind of that sort of caution 
cautious optimism. We're not updating our crypto portfolio anytime soon. We're going to keep it very speculative and sort of very much on the sidelines of our actual investments because, again, sentiment can evaporate overnight in the crypto industry. And therefore, until we see a little bit more of a regulatory framework and until we see more institutional money start creeping back into the space, we're going to stay on the sidelines a little bit more. But again, we are watching this. Our analysts are kind of working hard here to see if there's any updates we can make to our crypto portfolio. But largely at this moment, crypto is still a very speculative investment. It's probably at its highest moment of speculation right now. It's one of those things where if you're buying in now, when this podcast gets published on Monday, you're probably going to be losing out on a lot of that bull sentiment and getting caught in potentially a bear trap as the market will correct a little bit to digest all of the FOMO that hit over the weekend. So be mindful of that. It might be a little bit manic on Monday in terms of the red we see in the crypto markets, but that's pretty natural in these sort of emerging markets as we begin thinking about what's going to win and what's going to lose moving forward. And that's pretty much it. There's a lot to be excited about, but a lot of the excitement in the markets right now can easily just shift overnight and bring us right back to bear sentiment. These kind of downturns can potentially last years, not months. So we might be in the middle of more of like a bull trap than an actual reversal of bear trends. It's really hard to stay bearish in this environment, though, especially seeing the CPI come back as low as it did. But again, we can see a lot of really interesting things sort of like black swan us right back into the bad vibes we had across all of 2022, basically. The only other thing we're going to keep an eye on that we can't really predict for is the commercial real estate space. Again, we want to see a lot of that debt get digested a little bit more. There's a lot of outflows that are potentially possible if the value of these commercial real estate buildings actually collapses and we don't see leases come back. But at the same time, if enough value sort of evaporates from this sector of the economy, we could see some institutions go under, which could cause a contagion event and completely just blow up all of the gains we've had in the last year. So there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic, but that optimism must be tempered with caution right now. We're in this for the long haul, though. What you're going to be seeing from us this week is, once again, lots of long-term trends. We're getting back into consumer packaged goods. We're getting back into more speculative software. And of course, we're maintaining our position in the luxury space. You'll see all that this week over at app.mobi.co. Make sure you're downloading our app if you want to get more of our long-term perspective. Make sure you sign up for a free trial. See what we're thinking about this week. Make sure you check out our research from last week as well. We timed our repositioning in Delta really well. We're really proud of that. And at the same time, we're excited to see some really cool updates in the medical device space. So we got a lot going on over at app.mobi.co. Download our app, get a 14-day free trial, get our long-term perspective. We're going to be in the era of winners and losers for a long time now, and it's really exciting as a company that understands the market by making stock picks, that we're finding those winners more and more consistently as our analyst team gets a really good handle for the shape of what the market wants and what the market's afraid of and what will win across five years and across the next year as well. So a very exciting time in this market, but we are going to maintain that cautious optimism. Regardless, folks, it's a pretty good place to end it. As always, thank you so much for tolerating these solo episodes when our analyst team is simply just too bogged down with research to get in here into our podcast space. We really appreciate you listening to me just kind of drone on at you about the markets for almost half an hour. We really appreciate your time, but just so you know, this podcast was produced, hosted, and voiced by me, Peter Starr. All the intellectual value of this podcast comes from our analyst team, which is headed up by Justin Kramer, our CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst here at Moby.co. If you have any questions for us at all about anything, you can hit us up at hellomoby.co. Otherwise, check us out over at Instagram, TikTok, and even threads now as we sort of begin to understand what's happening on a daily basis within these markets. You can get sort of our daily pulse checks, so to speak, as we figure out precisely what's happening in the markets and find the market makers who are helping us make sense of this whole thing. Regardless, audience, that's a pretty good place to end it. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate your time. And as always, we like to leave you with 
with peace, love, and incremental gains. Everyone be well. Thank you so much.